know, so we're in the third week of this series called For the City, where together as a church, we've just been asking God to help us imagine what it would look like if we walked with Jesus so closely that our lives would become a radical blessing for the city around us. So if you're here a couple of weeks ago, this is what Aaron uh, talked about. He took us kind of through the, the whole of Scripture. He said, hey, this is, this is the way that we've been wired by God. We've been sent here by God to walk with Jesus in such a way that we'd become a blessing for the city around us. And then if you were with us last week, we, we left the building and we went out to Kroger and we got to participate in what that life looks like together. And this morning, we're gonna continue that conversation about what it looks like to, to live with Jesus in such a way that our life becomes a blessing. But we're gonna continue this conversation around a subject that in some ways is kind of uncomfortable these days in the American church. In fact, uh, a few years ago, a, a research group did a study on this topic and they, and they kind of studied thousands of Christians across uh, North America, and they discovered that out of all the Christians that they kind of uh, connected with, less than 5% of those Christians felt like they were good at doing this thing that we're gonna talk about this morning. Less than 5% felt like they were any good at doing this thing that we're gonna talk about. And yet that same study showed that the majority of Christians who were asked felt as though they should be very good at this thing they're not good at. Now, I don't know if you've ever been in one of those places in your life where there's this gap between what you think you should be able to do and what you are actually able to do, but man, that's a miserable gap to live in. And yet the reality is the conversation that we're gonna have this morning, especially in the North American church, is one of those places where so often the majority of people feel like they're no good at it and yet they think they should be, and this is the conversation around evangelism. Uh, or sharing your faith, you know, learning to talk about Jesus. You know, there's this thing, uh, especially among Christians that have been walking with Jesus for some time, we remember the words of Jesus out of Matthew 28 where he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So this is what I want you to do with that authority. He says, I want you to make disciples of all the nations. I want you to teach them to obey everything I've commanded, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we hear the great commission of Jesus and we recognize that the great commission is not a great suggestion. And so as Christians, we go, man, this is something we should be doing. But a lot of us, we kind of uh, go, man, but we're not any good at doing it. Think about one of my good friends, a guy named Dave Wilson, who's a part of this church a few months ago. We're sitting down having lunch, and he gets out this napkin, and we're talking about evangelism and how uncomfortable it is for American Christians these days. And he, he drew out this picture in a napkin. He said, I call this the evangelism guilt cycle. And I'm like, I don't even know what it is, but I love the name of it. And, and he said, here's the evangelism guilt cycle. Stage one is, you know you should be sharing your faith with people that don't know Jesus. He said, there's something in us that we go, man, we should be doing this. He says, but then you move into that second phase of the guilt cycle. And that is, but you don't know how to share your faith with people who don't know Jesus. And then you move into the third phase, which is, so I'm scared to death to share my faith with people that don't know Jesus. And you come into the last stage, which is, so I'm not going to share my faith with people who don't know Jesus. Then you go back to the first part, but I know I should. <laughs> but I know I should. And you go there, just raise your hand if you've ever at some point in your life been in that evangelism guilt cycle. Like you go, I know I should, I don't know how, I'm scared to death, so I'm not gonna do it, but I know I should. And he was describing that. I went, man, that has been so much of my journey in the church when it comes to this conversation around evangelism. I remember growing up in, in a Christian home, my dad's a pastor, and when I was in high school, uh, we hired a new youth pastor, a new youth minister, and he showed up, and he was, he was so fired up about evangelism, and he'd stand up, he's like 23 years old, and he's like, man, we've got to share our faith, and as soon as he started talking about it, just that evangelism guilt cycle in me just started working. 
I'm like, I know I should. I don't know how. I'm scared to death. I'm not gonna do it, but I'm gonna fake it, you know? And we had that same conversation over and over and over. So he's passionate about it. And he decided he's gonna start doing this thing with our youth group where once a month on a Friday night, we're gonna go out and uh, we were going to do something fun. But in order to go do that fun activity, you had to bring a friend with you from school that didn't know Jesus. And he shared that with me. I'm like, oh, this is, sounds like hell. I can't do this. I don't know how to do this. Scared to death, you know? And so that first month rolls around. We're going to a hockey game. And I'm like, I'm the pastor's kid. I mean, surely he's not gonna card us at the door to see if we have a non-Christian with us. So we get to the church to leave for this hockey game. And he says, hey, David, where's, where's your non-Christian friend? And I'm like, yeah, I tried, you know, it didn't work out, couldn't make it. And he's like, all right, see you later, go home. And I was like, What? Like, my dad's a pastor, he's gonna fire you, you know? <laughs> I was like indignant, I was upset, but he sent me home and I was embarrassed and that guilt cycle just kept working over in me. So the next month comes around, I'm like, man, I am not gonna fail at this again, I'm, I'm gonna do it, but sure enough, I knew I should, didn't know how, scared to death, so I didn't do it. And the day comes around where it's time to, to invite a friend and I call one of my buddies who was a Christian, he went to the Baptist church, I thought, maybe, he's not lost, but he's Baptist, so maybe, you know? And I'm like... <laughs> I'll bring my Baptist friend with me and, and surely he's not gonna get carded at the door. And so we get there and my buddy Mike, I mean, walks up, my youth minister Mike walks up to my buddy. He says, hey, do you love Jesus? And my friend was just so Baptist. He's like, I love the Lord. And I'm like, I'm like why couldn't you lie? Just lie for a brother, help a brother out. And so he sent us both home. True story in the evangelism guilt cycle, just stronger and stronger. And every week he'd stand up and talk about, man, you gotta share your faith. And I'm like, I know I should. I don't know how. I'm scared to death, so I'm not gonna do it. I know I should. I don't know how. I'm scared to death, so I'm not gonna do it. But I know I should. And that's the that's place where some of you are at. So I remember one night he's teaching, our youth pastor, on evangelism. Afterwards, we come up and say, Mike, you've got to show us how to do this. You can't just tell us that we should. You've gotta show us how to do this. So he came up with this idea. He said, okay, I'm gonna take you guys on a retreat. We'll get away for a few, a few days. We went just down the road to Myrtle Beach, which was about an hour and a half away from where we lived. So we'll go there for a retreat and we'll spend the whole weekend. I'm gonna teach you how to share your faith. So we're there for two and a half days and he's teaching us. Here's how you share your faith. Here's how you, here's how you talk about Jesus with people that don't know Jesus. And we get to that Saturday night. We're at the end. We're at the end of this little retreat. We're at the end of the seminar. And Mike said, hey, let's go down to the gas station. Let's get some food. We'll come back to um, uh, the hotel room. We'll play cards and we'll kind of wrap up the retreat. So he and I walked down uh, just a few blocks from our hotel down to this little gas station there on the strip of Myrtle Beach. If you've ever been there, uh, you can picture it, you know, just kind of crazy places. So we're down there in this gas station uh, buying some snacks and this young couple, about Mike's age, they're in their uh, early 20s, they walk into this gas station, and I mean, they were like full-blown Myrtle Beach, terminally sunburned, they've been drinking since 6 a.m., you know, they walk in loud, proud, they're just kind of letting everybody know they're there, and this man and woman walk in, they cut down between us in the aisle, they get this huge case of beer, and then they walk to the end of the aisle, right kind of on the other side of us, and there's kids in the room, so I've got to speak in code just a little bit, but they get to the other side of the aisle, and they get this industrial-sized box of things that couples buy to prevent disease and pregnancy in a moment of intimacy. You know what I'm talking about? Like, you understand? Like, we're right here, okay. So they've got this huge case of beer. They've got this huge industrial-sized box of pregnancy disease preventers for intimacy. And uh, the girl makes this really crass joke and hands that box to the guy in front of her. She goes out to the car. He gets in line. And my youth minister, Mike, looks at me and says, hey, now's our chance. And I'm like... I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. Like, now's the chance for what? Like, nobody's getting their faith shared in here. Like, I'm not sharing faith with anybody. And um, he said, now's the chance to put into practice what we've been talking about. I'm like, not a chance. You go for it. I, you know, I'll watch. He said, so, okay. he said, I'll go. I'll go. 
you watch. So he walks up behind this guy who's about his age. Mike taps him on the shoulder. He says, hey, me and my buddy David pulls me into it. I'm like, thanks. You know? <laughs> now it's weird, this 23-year-old youth pastor and this teenager, you know, hanging out in this gas station in Myrtle Beach. You know? He says, hey, me and my buddy David, we saw the, the beer and the industrial-sized box of pregnancy presenters, we, uh, preventers. We, 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 we see those there. And uh, it looks like you and your girlfriend have a great night, fun time. He said, but I wanted to propose something to you. He said, if you'd come back to the hotel with me and my buddy Dave, we would give you something she could never give you that would satisfy you in ways that would never satisfy you. And I'm like, what? I'm like, dude, he doesn't think you're talking about the gospel. And, and all of a sudden, my youth minister gets it. And he's like, whoa, he said, I'm talking about Jesus. And, uh, and the guy's like, I'm not into him either. And um, so we stand there in line for a couple of really awkward moments. He buys the beer and the box of pregnancy pre preventers and walks out the door. And I'm humiliated. I like vowed to the Lord that night, I'll never share my faith again. <laughs> I promise you, I will never try to be an ambassador for the kingdom. And we walk out of the gas station. I'll never forget, Mike looks at me and goes, wasn't that amazing? <laughs> Were you even in the same planet? Like, that was like one of the worst experiences of my life. And I'll never forget that though, seriously. We start walking back to the hotel and Mike just begins to have this conversation with me about the kingdom of God and about sharing our faith and about expectations and, and about our responsibility in all of it. And God somehow used that moment of perceived failure to like unlock something in me. And I believe that's what Jesus is like wanting to do in us as a church family, that, that, that Jesus is wanting to invite us into to spaces and places, into, into things that at times will be uncomfortable. And he's gonna invite us in. And even in the moments of things that feel like perceived failure, I believe that Jesus wants to rewire us as a church family so that we can be the kind of church that lives with Jesus for the sake of the city in the way that we steward our words to bring the kingdom of God right here and there. I love this picture in Matthew chapter 13. You know, Jesus has been sharing the gospel. He's been sharing the good news of the kingdom of God. And he gets this moment in Matthew chapter 13 where, where things had not gone the way that the disciples expected it to go. And so he gathers them around himself and he's gonna begin telling them these stories. He's gonna say, hey, here's what it's like when you start sharing your faith. And he tells a story about a farmer that sows seed and he tells a story about a treasure in a field and he tells a story about wheat and weeds growing together. He tells stories about a fish and a net, all these things. But Jesus says, what I'm trying to do is, is I'm trying to shift your perspective trying to shift your perspective on how you understand yourself in this great drama that God is writing in the world all around you. He says, I wanna change the way you understand your role when it comes to advancing the kingdom of God with the words that you use. And I never noticed this before. Look back at Matthew chapter 13, starting in verse one. It says, that same day Jesus went out of the house, he'd been sitting in this house teaching, and he sat by the lake, and such a large crowd gathered around him that he got into a boat, he sat in it, and all of the people stood on the shores he began to teach. And then he told them many things in parables or in stories, and he started one of the stories like this. He said, a farmer went out to sow his seed, and as he was scattering his seed, dot, dot, dot. I want you to go back to verse one, though. Notice this. This is the part of the story that I never noticed. It says, that same day. I want you to say that out loud with me. That same day. Come on, that same day. That same day. That same day. I'd never noticed that phrase before. He says, that same day. And this week I was reading that and I'm like, okay, what was going on that same day? And you go back into Matthew chapter 12 and you begin to read these stories where Jesus, 
who is the greatest evangelist to ever live. Can we just shake our heads in agreement if you believe that nobody was better at talking about the kingdom of God than Jesus, right? Like, just give me an amen if you believe that Jesus was the best at sharing the kingdom. But you go back into Matthew 12, and here you have Jesus, the Son of God, filled with the Spirit of God, sent out on mission by God to talk about the kingdom of God, and it didn't go very well. At least from our perspective, Matthew 12 doesn't go very well. He, he shares the, the kingdom, and a group of leaders decide they want to assassinate him. I don't know if you've ever had a bad day. It's a bad day. He moves on from that moment, and he shares the kingdom of God. And they accuse him of being demon-possessed. I don't know if you've had a bad day. That's a bad day. And then he finds himself in this house that he's in at the beginning of Matthew 13, and he's teaching and preaching. Mark's gospel gives us a little more color to the story. He says that Jesus' family showed up in this moment. They thought he had gone crazy, and they tried to take charge of him. I go, here's this, this moment where Jesus, the Son of God, filled with the Spirit of God, sent by God to live on mission with God, proclaiming the kingdom of God. He's done everything right, and at least from our perspective, the results have been wrong. Have you ever had one of those moments where you did everything that Jesus told you to do and it didn't turn out the way you thought it was gonna turn out? And I go, here, here they are, the disciples, they've watched Jesus share with his words about the kingdom of God and it hasn't gone as they expected. And this is the moment, it says that same day, after all these things, Jesus gathers, a, he says, okay, let's have a conversation it's like my youth minister pulling me aside outside of the gas station. Hey, let's have a conversation. That didn't go the way we thought it was gonna go. Let's have a conversation. And Jesus says, let's talk about the way that this works. And he begins to tell these stories. And Jesus is gonna use these stories to shift our perspective. And the first part of our perspective that he's gonna shift is our understanding of our resource. Look back at verse three, I love this. It says, then he told them many things in parables, saying a farmer went out to sow his seed. Down in verse 18, he's going he's gonna to unpack this. He's going to demystify it, decode it for us. He's going to say the seed is the message of the kingdom. And so Jesus cares about our actions. He cares about what we do. He cares about how we serve. But Jesus says, for this conversation, I want to talk to you about the words that you use to advance the kingdom of God. I remember when I was in college, a chapel speaker came and spoke to us one time, and I remember he opened up his talk with this quote from a guy named St. Francis of Assisi. And maybe you've heard the quote before. But it goes something like this. He says, share the gospel at all times and when necessary, use words. And I remember thinking, I'm like, that's the most amazing quote. I wrote it down on the front of my prayer journal. And then about two years went by and I started having some problems with that quote. First, I learned that St. Francis never said it. <laughs> I thought, oh man, that's a problem. But secondly, the, the biggest issue with that was Jesus. Because Jesus himself never pits our words and our actions against one another. Jesus never says you have to choose between living well or speaking well. He says, no, I'm sending you out to both declare and to demonstrate the kingdom of God. So Jesus here, he begins to tell these stories and he says, I wanna clarify for you, what we're talking about is not just living a great life. We'll talk about that in this series. He says, but what we're talking about right now is the ability to speak about the kingdom of God. He says, this is the resource you've been given. It's this little seed. And this little seed is just the, the message that feels like foolishness sometimes. This message of Jesus' life, his love, his leadership, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, and his eventual return. It's what Paul talks about in Romans 1, verse 16, where he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, which is the power of God to transform lives for those that believe. 
He says, this is the, the crazy thing. Jesus says, I'm, I'm sending you out. And he says, and I wanna remind you of the resource that you have in your hand. This resource that you have in your hand is a foolish sounding story about a homeless nomadic carpenter who was the son of God, who was crucified at the hands of the Roman Empire, who raised on the third day, who has returned to heaven and who will come again to judge the living and the dead. Jesus says, that's the resource that you've been entrusted with. That's what you're being sent out with. He says, but I want you to understand your responsibility when it comes to this resource. He keeps going, look at verse four. He says, a farmer went out to sow a seed and as he was scattering the seed, dot, 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 he goes on and talks about the seed falling on the rocky places and in the shallow soil and in the good soil and among the thorns. Jesus says this, this farmer goes out and he sows this resource, this message of the kingdom, and he doesn't sow it strategically. He doesn't go, here you go, here you go, here you go. He says it's not like planting a garden where you line it all up. He says it's more like trying to get grass to grow in your yard. I mean, you're just throwing it every, raise your hand if you've ever tried to get grass to grow in your front yard. It's like, I can't get grass, it is so hard. Last year, I was trying to get grass to grow in the front yard, and I had my three-year-old out there with me, and he's got seed in a cup. And he is throwing it everywhere like that seed was free. I mean, he's just throwing it. It's getting on the driveway. It's getting on the sidewalk. It's getting in my neighbor's yard. It's getting in our flower bed. It's not going in the one bald spot in our yard that I wanted it to go. But that picture, that picture of sowing the seed generously, Jesus says, here's the deal. The resource is this message that you've been given. But your responsibility with that message, your responsibility has nothing to do with the outcome. It has everything to do with the output. It's not about the outcome. It's about the output. Jesus says, I want you to take the seed and I want you to throw it. I want you to share that message as liberally and as generously and as joyfully as you can share it. Now, I think sometimes if we're not careful as Christians, we think the the gospel message, that seed, it's like you just got one seed, you better hold on to it. It's like, do I like him or do I like her? Who do I like better? Okay, I'll wait 10 years, build a friendship, and then it's like, ah, come on, God, work. <laughs> Jesus says, that's not the way, that's not the way it works. It's not like, okay, okay. He says, no, you're like a drunk farmer with a big bag of seed that you didn't pay for, and you're just throwing that seed. You're throwing it everywhere. Your responsibility is not the outcome, it's the output. And the seed that you have been given is good. Jesus says, if we're gonna live into this together, you gotta have your perspective shifted on the resource in your hand, on your responsibility, and ultimately on your understanding of results. Jesus goes through and he talks about the four soils, and I don't know if you're a mathematician, but the odds aren't good. Jesus says, only one of the four soils produces any fruit. He says, you're gonna throw a lot of seed, and it's not always gonna go the way that you expect it to go. Have you ever bought that lie before that if you just did things the way that Jesus told you to do them that it would turn out really, really well? And I go, here's Jesus himself, the son of God filled with the spirit of God on mission with God proclaiming the kingdom of God. And he's just shared the gospel in three different contexts and he's been rejected in all of them. And Jesus says, when you try to live with me for the sake of the city, this is the way that it's gonna come. But here's the reality, the results are not up to you. The results are not up to you. Those are in the hand of God. And you just sow generously. I remember being outside of that gas station with my youth minister all those years ago. And he's just telling me, he's like, Dave, until until you get past this idea, 
He's like, you think it's your job to manage the outcome. And he's like, as long as you think it's your job to manage the outcome, you'll never be effective in the kingdom of God. I remember that just nailed me. I was like, wow. He said, it's your responsibility to take the resource of the gospel and to, show, to sow it generously and to let God do what only God can do. The question though is, if, if it's so hard and if it's doesn't work that often. Like, why in the world do we keep doing that? Jesus gets to that. He, he ends this conversation. He gets down to the end of this conversation with the disciples. And he tells this story. He says, hey, in order for you to understand why we keep doing this, even when it's difficult, he says, you have to have your perspective shifted on the reason for doing this. And he tells this story. Look down with me at verse 47. It's kind of an uncomfortable story, but this is Jesus, the most loving guy that's ever lived, speaking these words. He says, once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake, and it caught all kinds of fish. Remember, he's sitting in a boat with fishermen telling these stories. So he's taking this thing that they really understood fishing. He says, this thing that you understand is kind of like this thing that you don't yet understand. This is like that. He keeps going, verse 48. He says, when the net was full, the fishermen pulled it up onto the shore and then they sat down and they collected the good fish in baskets, but the, they threw the bad fish away. Listen to this, church. Jesus says, this is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come, they will separate the wicked from the righteous and they will throw them into the blazing furnace where there'll be weeping and there'll be gnashing of teeth. And then Jesus said, have you understood these things? I don't know what this moment would have been like, but I imagine this is the moment where the guys in the boat go quiet. Jesus has been talking about a lot of fun things, and Jesus says, hey, I want you to understand why it is that we keep sharing the gospel the way that we share it. He says, because at the end of the age, every human being, whether they think this would be true or not, every human being is gonna come face to face with an eternal holy God. They're gonna come face to face and the temporary is gonna be exposed for what it is. The eternal is gonna be set before them. And Jesus says, everyone who had responded to the gospel message will be welcomed into the Father's house and everyone who did not will be separated from God forever in hell. Now, I know that's not politically correct. I know that's not popular. But I go, did you know that Jesus, the most loving guy that ever lived, taught on hell more than anybody else did? He says, there's this reality that people we love, neighbors and family members, roommates, parents, children, people you care about and people you've yet to meet, they matter, they matter. And Jesus says, the reason we keep generously sowing this seed is because they matter. And there's some of you in this room and you are not in good standing with God. I don't have to tell you that. You know that. There's some of you that are not in good standing with God. And Jesus is reminding us, he says, hey, this is not a game. This is not like you trying to get your friends to do Whole30 with you or to believe that essential oils are not a scam. Like, you know, this is not the same thing. And don't talk to me about that. Like, that's not my opinion. I'm just saying this is different than that. Jesus says there is an eternal reality. There's an eternal reality. And he says the reason, the reason we keep sowing generously is because people's eternities are on the line. I believe when we start to live into this as a church, man, every, everything changes. Like the, the blessing, the blessing that comes out of this is like a twofold blessing. 
It blesses you like when you live on mission with Jesus and it blesses those that you're serving as you live on mission with Jesus. Have you ever shared your faith with somebody and seen them come alive in God? I mean, it's like the most amazing thing in the world. I think about earlier this summer, a family were at the YMCA, we were swimming and it was one of those days where not many people were in the pool, but it was sunny and beautiful. So it just felt like a gift from God. And I'm there on one side of the pool swimming with my boys. And on the other side of the pool, there's the deep end and there's this family by the diving board and their little son who was four years old, three or four years old, was running around the edge of the pool trying to get to them. And he tripped and he falls into the deep end. He can't swim. And before you make it more dramatic than it was, like, you know, there was no ambulance, no CPR, you know, but it was a scary moment for the family and for the little boy. And so he falls into the water and this lifeguard, probably about 19 years old, I mean, it's like he was born for that moment. The moment that kid hit the water, boom! I mean, he like dives off, you know, I'd give his dive about a seven and a half, but he got in the water, got the boy out, laid him on the side, made sure he's okay, the parents came over. And then he's just like high-fiving all the lifeguards. Everybody's like, yeah! <laughs> and if you've ever been to the YMCA, you know how this goes. Every hour, they make you take like a mandatory 10-minute break. And so during that 10-minute break, he's over at the lifeguard tent and I'm walking by and he's like replaying it. Yeah, then I saw him and I dove. And you know, and he's just, he's like so excited. And I'm like, dude, that was awesome. And he's like, man, I've been a lifeguard for three summers. And he's like, I've never gotten to save anybody. He said, it's been the same thing. You know, I'm like checking the inventory. I'm working in the snack shop. I'm making sure the Spotify playlist doesn't have any cuss words to offend the children, you know? And he's like, and then I sit in that chair and I watch and I watch and I watch. And he said, I've never gotten to get in the water. He said, but man, today reminded me why I've spent all this time training. And so, man, it was a blessing for him, but it's also a blessing for that little kid. Because I go, that, that little kid was on the receiving end of that guy living into his purpose. And I go, man, when we start living into the things of Jesus, it is going to bless you like crazy. But you're not gonna be the only one who will be blessed. The people who will be on the receiving end of you living into your purpose are gonna be blessed in ways that you'll never understand. The church is filled with lifeguards that have never touched the water. It's filled with them. You have trained and you've trained and you've trained and you've listened and you've studied and you've studied and you've studied and the Lord says, let's just get the hair wet. Let's just get in the water. Let's just get in the water and see what the Lord does. Because the reality is the results are not in our hands. But the thing that has been placed in our hands, which is the message of the kingdom, is a seed that can be trusted. And Jesus says, man, let's just throw it. Now, I want to circle back to where we started. You know, we started this whole thing, talking about that evangelism guilt cycle. And some of you are going, Dave, thanks for nothing. You've just made it worse, you know. Like we spent 25 minutes talking about what we should be doing. And I know I should be doing it more than ever. I still don't know how to do it. I'm still scared to do it. So when we go to Hattie B's with our friends later, we're not gonna do it. And some of you are just feeling that whole cycle has been reinforced. And I just wanna leave you just with two really simple things. You can do this if you've been following Jesus for 20 years. You can do this if you're not even sure yet if you're a follower of Jesus. I just wanna challenge you to try two things over the next seven days and see if God doesn't show up in it. If he doesn't show up, you don't have to keep doing it. So here's the first thing I wanna challenge you to do. Wake up every morning and before you touch your phone or before you get out of bed, ask Jesus to give you the eyes to see where his kingdom is springing up all around you. Say, Jesus, would you help me to see where you're at work? Because here's the truth, you cannot share what you have not seen. 
And so just ask Jesus, hey, Jesus, would you help me to see where you're breaking in? Would you help me to see what you're doing all around me? Help me to see, give me the eyes to see. I challenge you every day this week, pray it when you wake up, pray it when you're eating lunch, pray it when you go to sleep. Ask Jesus to give you the eyes to see. Jesus says, who has eyes to see and ears to hear, right? So ask him to help you see. Simple step, you can do that this week. Number two, I wanna challenge you to every day practice sharing whatever it is that you've seen. Practice sharing whatever it is that you've seen. Uh, And I wanna challenge you to practice sharing that with somebody who already knows Jesus. Now, I know that seems counterproductive and you're going, I thought this was about evangelism, but here's the deal. Until we can talk with one another about the kingdom of God as easily as we talk about football, until we can talk with one another about the things of Jesus as easily as we can talk about our pets, we will never be able to share the kingdom of God with those that don't know Jesus. And so I just wanna challenge you this week to ask Jesus to help you see, and then every day before you go to sleep, if you're married, on the way home today, make this the covenant with your spouse. Hey, every night at dinner, let's talk about where we saw God at work. If you have a roommate, maybe you're not married, you have a roommate, share, hey, as roommates, can we talk about this every day? If you live by yourself, Call someone in your house church or in this church and say, hey, every day before we go to sleep, can we share with one another where we're seeing Jesus at work? And there may be days where you don't see anything. There'll be days where you see a lot. But here's what I know. As you and I begin to share that which we have been seeing, God will stoke the fires of his kingdom in you. And all of a sudden, it won't be so much like a seed like this, but it will just be the seed of his kingdom just spilling out of you. We live in a city of 800,000 people who don't connect, there are 800,000 people in our city who are not connected with Jesus in a meaningful way. It's a staggering statistic in a place like Nashville, the belt buckle, the Bible belt. Staggering statistic. Uh, I get excited thinking about what would happen in our church if we take this call of Christ seriously. And if we just share with others what we're seeing and if we would trust what Jesus says is true, that not all the seed will bear fruit, but man, a lot of it will. I go, man, statistically speaking, if everybody in our church just began, if we began to see ourselves as generous seed sowers, if we saw ourselves as people that would share what it is that we're seeing in the kingdom of God, statistically speaking, we would reach the city of Nashville in under six months. Then we could move to another city. (laughs) Can you imagine how amazing that would be? But a lot of us are still stuck right here. I know I should. (laughs) I know I should. Let's not be the people who knew they should. <laughs> it's like, let's take some steps. I wanna pray over us this morning. I wanna pray that the Lord will not just give us opportunities this week, but that he would supernaturally unlock some things in you. So I'm gonna invite you to participate with me in this prayer. You can close your eyes. I'm just gonna pray over you. And I'm gonna ask you to start by taking your hands and just putting them kind of up beside your eyes. I know that sounds weird. Our eyes are closed. Hopefully nobody's looking at you. But just put your hands beside your eyes. Lord, I pray that you would give us as a church, anybody that can hear my voice right now, would you give us supernatural ability to see where your kingdom is at work among us? Would you give us supernatural eyes to see the opportunities that present themselves? Take your hands and put them on your heart. Put your hands over your heart. Lord, would you give us hearts that believe that the seed you've entrusted us with is good? Would you give us hearts to believe that that you alone bring about the fruit? Would you give us hearts of courage to sow generously? Um, uh, If you're flexible enough, reach down and touch your feet. If you're like me and you can't bend your hamstrings, just point your hands down towards your feet. 
Lord, would you give us feet that are willing to go? Would you make us the kind of people that would be willing to go wherever it is that you'd have us to go? Speak wherever it is that you'd have us speak. Let us be the kind of people that would go with the gospel. And then last, put your hands up next to your mouth. Lord, would you put the message of your kingdom in our mouth? Would you put it on our tongues? Would you make it flow out with joy and with energy and with power and um, with, um, with personality, but more than anything, with truth and with power? God, would you make us a church filled a church filled with generous, radical seed sowers. God, would you bring our city to Jesus? And would you use us to be a part of that process? In the name of Christ, I pray, amen.